Israel is in a downward spiral, and God raises up judges to deliver his people from their oppression. Today we review the era of the judges on The Bible Brief. Want more Bible learning content like this? Sign up for our newsletter and follow us on social media. Links are in the show notes to this episode. Love Yahweh, follow the law, and take the land. This was the message of both Moses and Joshua to the people of Israel before each of them died. They wanted Israel to experience the amazing blessings of God in the promised land of Canaan, rather than the alternative. God had said that if the nation disobeyed his law, that he would cast them out of the land and curse them with truly awful curses for violating the covenant he'd made with them at Mount Sinai. But now that these two notable leaders were dead and gone, what would happen? Would the nation continue to follow God and obey his law? Who would be the new leader of the nation? Well, within a generation after the death of Joshua, the nation begins to fall away from Yahweh in disobedience. They stop trying to drive out the nations that dwell within the land of Canaan, and they begin to worship the false gods in the land. In Judges chapter 2, we read that, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them and he sold them into the hands of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. God was giving the nation a taste of the curses that he had announced through Moses. Just as he had shown the nation his power through their victorious conquering of the land, so here he showed his power in a different way. He showed it through the absence of it. He removed his protection from the nation and sold them into the hand of their enemies. He showed them that just as he could give them victory, he could also give them over to certain defeat. However, in the midst of this judgment on the nation, God continued to have mercy on them. We next read this describing the cyclical nature of the next 300 years for the nation. We read, Then the Lord raised up judges, who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning, because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died, in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. This cycle 
coupled with the judgment of God in using these nations to test Israel, meant lots of difficulty for Israel. Difficulty that was exacerbated significantly by continued disobedience to God and to His law. The first judge that God raises up is a man named Othniel, who led the people on their deliverance from a king who had swept into the land and dominated it. Through the power of the Spirit of God, Othniel defeated that king, and God gave the land rest from war for forty years. But soon Israel rebelled against Yahweh again by practicing evil, and another power rose up to defeat them in the land. This time it was the king of Moab with an alliance of other nations. Having dominated militarily, this king was also forcing the Israelites to pay tribute to him as he oppressed them further. It's in this context that the Lord raised up another judge named Ehud. This judge defeats the oppressive king in his own home. Ehud tells the king that he needs a private audience to tell him a secret message. But when the two are alone, he fatally stabs the king before fleeing to muster Israel's men to defeat the Moabites. Through Ehud, God grants the land rest for another 80 years. The next power to rise in Canaan made life even worse for the people of Israel. The people were powerless and so fearful that they wouldn't even use the main roads in the land. And they were under the thumb of the Canaanite king Jabin and his military leader Sisera. Soon God uses the prophetess Deborah to call out a military leader in Israel named Barak. And fearful Barak soon musters troops against Sisera's force that included 900 chariots. The chariots of Sisera draw the Israelite troops into a large valley to make quick work of them. Yet Yahweh intervenes on behalf of his people, causing the river of the valley to overflow. The chariots of Sisera are disabled and washed away, and the Israelites are able to rout the other forces of Sisera. However, the one man to flee from the battle is Sisera, the commander himself, who comes to a nearby settlement on foot. He sees the woman Jael, who hides Sisera in her tent, as he requests that she cover for him if any of the Israelites come looking. Little does he know that her loyalties lie with the Israelites. As soon as he's sleeping from exhaustion, she takes a tent peg and hammers it through his temple, killing him instantly. With Sisera dead and his chariots defeated, Israel soon shakes off the oppression of the Canaanite king, and God grants them rest for another 40 years. Yet the cycle of the judges continues, as Israel again does what's evil in the sight of the Lord, and he allows the Midianite nation to dominate the land of Canaan. The Midianites are like locusts on the land as they devour all the crops that Israel cultivates and steal all the livestock that Israel nurtures. The people won't live in the open country, and many find caves to live in out of fear of these Midianites. In the midst of this, God raises up Gideon to deliver Israel from its bondage. Gideon is a fearful warrior, but he obeys God's commands and eventually finds himself with only 300 men facing an army of 135,000 Midianites. Despite the incredible numbers difference, Yahweh is with Gideon and works through a midnight surprise to begin to defeat Midian. The 300 men surround the Midianite camp with torches covered by jars and with trumpets. In a moment, they break all the jars, blow the trumpets, and yell as though a surprise attack is occurring. This sows immediate confusion in the camp. Confusion that Yahweh uses to have the Midianites fight themselves before fleeing from the camp. Numbers don't matter when God fights for Israel. After the battle, the Israelites attempt to make Gideon king over them, but he rebuffs their request, 
saying that God is the one who's king over them. However, despite his apparent faith, he soon makes an idol for Israel, causing his own downfall. Many years later, and a few judges later, God raises up Samson, the strongest Israelite who had ever lived. God allows his barren mother to conceive, and tells her that her son is to be a Nazarite from the womb, set apart with special rules for his life. These rules included a prohibition from alcohol, a prohibition from contact with corpses, and a prohibition from cutting his hair. This Nazarite vow would come to color all of Samson's life, as God used him to resist the Philistine power that had come into the land of Canaan. Samson has woman trouble, and his woman trouble especially involves women that he has no business being with. He constantly has his eyes on Philistine women, rather than the women of Israel. In the course of marriage to one of them, he breaks not only the law of Moses, but two of his vows as a Nazarite. He drinks alcohol and has contact with a corpse. Samson is a rather disobedient Israelite, who seems only concerned with his personal pleasure and satisfying his own desires. Yet God uses these circumstances surrounding Samson's marriage and subsequent death of his wife to cause Samson to strike down 1,000 Philistine men. Despite Samson's disobedience, God still uses him. This continues through Samson's life as two decades later he's seduced by another Philistine, a woman named Delilah. Delilah is no friend to Samson, and she uses Samson's lusts against him. She continually asks Samson how he can be defeated and subdued, and he plays along with her as if he's playing a game. Soon he tells her that his strength comes from his hair that has never been cut, which she soon shaves off while Samson is asleep. Samson wakes up, unable to fight off the Philistines, and he's soon consigned to prison, with his eyes having been gouged out by his captors. The Lord had left Samson when his hair was cut. Samson's final disobedience regarding the Nazarite vow apparently caused his strength, provided by God, to leave his body. Yet God's purpose in using Samson to defeat the Philistines would still be accomplished. One day when the Philistines are having a huge party to honor their false god, Yahweh strengthens Samson one final time, allowing him to collapse the building in the defeat of all the Philistine leadership class. Samson dies, having judged Israel for twenty years. The era of the judges begins to draw to a close with two accounts, showing the awful rebellion of the land that was already occurring within two generations of Joshua's death. In the first account, we saw the grandson of Moses hire himself out as a personal priest to an ungodly Israelite named Micah. Soon, however, he has even greater priestly prospects as he becomes the priest of the tribe of Dan, who conquers an unsuspecting city instead of conquering the territory allotted to them by Joshua. This account vividly illustrates the disobedient culture of the Israelites. In the second account, we saw the truly awful treatment of a woman by the men of the city of Gibeah, treatment that resembled the awful city of Sodom that God destroyed with fire and brimstone from heaven. This woman was abused all night by the men and then killed. Her dead body is then mutilated by her husband, who cuts it in twelve pieces to somehow motivate Israel to war against this wicked town of Gibeah. The tribes immediately come together to war against the town, but the tribe of Benjamin will not give up a city within its own territory. So the other tribes end up warring against the one tribe of Benjamin, eventually cutting down the population 
to only 600 men. After this devastation of the tribe of Benjamin, the other tribes then try to find a way to get them wives from among Israel. They don't want the tribe to go extinct. However, they made a vow that they would not allow their daughters to marry a Benjaminite. So to solve this problem, they murder everyone in a single Israelite town, save the virgin women, and then later convince the Benjaminites to kidnap even more unsuspecting Israelite women. These two accounts show the awful state of the nation of Israel, and throughout a refrain is repeated. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was, however, at least one bright spot in the midst of those dark days. We soon met the Moabite woman Ruth, who returned with her Israelite mother-in-law Naomi to the land of Canaan. They had both lost their husbands and were now two destitute women trying to survive. Ruth takes up the task of gleaning leftover wheat and barley in the field, and she soon wanders into the field of Boaz. Boaz is a relative of Naomi, and by extension a relative of hers. And Boaz finds ways to bless this foreign woman who helps take care of her mother-in-law. The greatest blessing he bestows, however, is the blessing of his marriage to Ruth. After a midnight proposal from the woman, he works to ensure that he can both marry her and redeem Naomi's property to keep it in the family. Through Boaz, land inheritance is secured, and a family line is secured. It just so happens that the family line is the most important one in Israel, because it would be from the family line of Boaz that the great future king would come, the king who would rule over Israel, defeat its enemies, and bless all the nations of the world. Join us next time as the next era in Israel opens with a song. A woman weeps for a baby and God grants her request for a son. A son who grows up to be the last great judge over Israel. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023